Um, do you know, of all the things we could ask him for, uh, and I just want to resonate even just those few words that have been shared, you know, but of all the things we could ask him for, I pray that uh, above everything else, that which will resonate deeply with us is, I want to know you. Of all the things I could ask, I, I want to know you. I want to know Christ. I want to know you, Father. Of all the things I could list and name and say, oh, I just want to know you more. And I want to know more of your life in me. I, I kind of think we're going to land there at the end of this message. Um, but I trust it'll grab us, not only individually, but as a, as a church here this morning. Do you have a Bible? I don't, if you have a Bible, turn with me. I want to read some verses from Philippians 4. If you haven't, it's fine. Let me read God's word. It's for all his people, for every generation and every nation. So uh, let me read Philippians 4 to you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, in every high and every low. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a fantastic passage that we're going to explore together this morning. But uh, I don't know whether you follow the church calendar personally much, but uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, uh, this season where it says Christmas is coming. I'm a week early. Uh, this is not a Christmas message. It's a pre-Christmas message. Uh, but with next Sunday being Advent, um, I'm beginning to anticipate Scrooge. Um, do you like that? Do you like, I, I kind of try and see as many films of Scrooge over the Christmas period as I can. I kind of love the story. Uh, you're all looking at me blank, kind of thinking, this is, well. Uh, Charles Dickens, in the story of Scrooge, he introduces a, a number of themes to us in the story of Scrooge. Um, some of them are less obvious, but they're still there. 
I mean, when, when you think about Ebenezer Scrooge himself, uh, uh, Dickens introduces us to the idea that it is possible in our lives that we may experience hurt as we're growing up. Hurt that can actually begin to play itself out in the whole story of our lives. Dickens also introduces a theme that because of that hurt, we may find ourselves encountering uh, invitations, moments of, of kindness and, and, and an invitation to step into a, a, a new experience. But for fear of rejection, we let those things pass us by. I, I don't want to be hurt again. I, I don't want to be rejected again. And so we go deeper and we pass those moments by. I, I think Dickens begins to introduce some of those themes. But I guess the bigger theme of Scrooge's story is the wake-up call he receives from his former business associate who appears to him one night. And as he gets confronted with the past, present, and future of his life, Scrooge comes to a moment of transformation. And really, that's the other big theme from, from Dickens in this story. Transformation is possible. Change is possible. When we get confronted with past, present, and future realities, transformation in our lives can happen. We can be changed. And, and for a life that gets gripped by, in Scrooge's story, stuff, and the impact of a past life and things that would otherwise hold us back when our lives get gripped by transforming grace. We can begin to live a different life. Scrooge was one who lived with a mindset, and we know the story. Uh, It proves to be false, but if you have wealth, if you have money, if you have bigger, brighter, better, then life will be okay. But we see in his story That which money promises, that which gold promises, doesn't deliver. And so this morning, I'm bringing us to what Paul says here to a church in Philippi. I'm bringing it with a message that says transformation is possible. I'm bringing it with a message that says no matter what the experiences, no matter what the hurts, no matter what those things that would cause us to say, I'm too scared for stepping out for fear of rejection. And that which I've held on to for my security, I'm bringing to us a message of transformation through what Paul says to the Philippians that invites us individually and corporately to say, from here on out, I want to launch into a different story, a story transformed by grace. And a story that comes under a different banner. This banner. Joy is being content. Oh my. Joy is being content. Well, now there's a challenge. Not only for Scrooge in his day, but for us today. Joy is being content. Is is that even possible? Just linger with the words a moment. Joy. Deep, lasting, transforming joy is being content. What does that mean? Is it possible? Kind of feels a bit remote. A bit bit like an advertisement of something that I can't get. It's already out of stock. if only, tends to dominate the scene of our lives. Uh, If only I'd won the lottery. If only I had no debt. 
if only I could afford that holiday. It's not always about money. If only my husband or my wife were a little bit different. If only England had won the Rugby World Cup. Lots of if-onlys. And there's so much about the reality of our world and its message that bombards us and hits us that says, is this even possible? Is it possible for us as a church and as individuals to connect with joy that, that resonates deeply into our being, that says joy is being content when everything about our world just bombards us with a sense of discontent? The business of life itself as well. I mean, that's a great enemy of content, isn't it? I mean, who wasn't busy this week? And uh, the whole sense of contentment being not stressed out about making ends meet. Content being kind of having enough to live off. Uh, maybe a few extra of the things of life, the good things of life. And, and not so busy. A little bit of time and space for me to enjoy those things. Maybe this is the natural way we understand being content. Just having enough, a few extras, and the time and space to enjoy it. That's content, isn't it? Well, I wonder. I kind of think that maybe that's our normal stereotypical image of it. So many people in our world have believed the mantra, contentment is found in stuff, and it's found in peace to enjoy the stuff. The thing is, When's enough enough? Somebody once asked Rockefeller the question, how much is enough? And his answer highlights the problem that keeps getting bombarded with it. His answer was this, just a little more. I mean, he's a multimillionaire. How much is enough? Just a little more. So this morning, Paul, as he writes these words, he's going to cut across the mindset that perhaps subtly, part of our life that we subtly and begin to believe and it begins to settle on us. I, I want to challenge this morning the stereotypical image of what it is to be content, what it is to be genuinely at peace with my soul and to discover a joy that flies in the face of this otherwise stereotypical image that we buy into, that joy is found in stuff and the peace to enjoy it. Because as we get to Paul, we find that that is not the picture of his life. I'm going to make us feel uncomfortable for a moment. Can I do that? Because, and it's not just unique to Christians, but just broadly speaking as Christians, we kind of know that, don't we? We know that life isn't found in stuff and having lots of stuff. So, so we begin to navigate all of this by saying, okay, so living a simple life or a simpler life is pleasing to God. It means I'm not pursuing stuff. I'm not buying into that lie. So I'm going to settle down a little bit and live a simpler life. Be content with what I've got. After all, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's what Paul says to Timothy. And those who pursue riches and stuff, they're pursuing stuff. That's going to cause them many problems and pain. So I get all of that. So here's my view to contentment. I'm going to live simpler. I'm going to trust God to provide for what I need. And in that, I will find the joy of contentment. And you're probably all sat there thinking, that sounds about right. That's a good view of life. And you know what? There is great wisdom 
In that, I think it's biblical wisdom that there is a joy of being willing to live simpler and be content with less in order that I may not pursue stuff and buy into this mindset that life is found in stuff because it just keeps me going like a mouse on a wheel and I'm just getting tired. So there's some wisdom in it, but I want to explode that. I mean, it's true, but it's not enough. I I could live a simple life and still disconnect from the reality of who Jesus is. I I could opt as somebody who is a Christian or not a Christian into that mindset and to say, I'm just going to live simply. I'm going to get off the rat race of life and and I'm going to find the peace that comes from not pursuing all of that. It's not enough. Joy, deep joy, Paul says, is being content. And the picture of his life in Philippians 4 is not off the rat race and living simply and trusting God to provide all that he needs. It's not. Here's the picture of Philippians 4. Paul is writing this letter under house arrest. He's in chains. He's confined to four walls. Every high, every low He's in chains for the gospel. He's suffering as he writes these words. And he writes to us, I've learned the secret right now into the reality of my life. I've learned the secret of being content. For Paul, it is not the reality of a simple, easier life where God is meeting it, even at that simple level, everything that he needs. He's under house arrest. He's in chains. He's known storms in his life. He's known times of plenty and hunger. He has suffered for the cause of the gospel. He's under house arrest. And he says, I've learned a secret. I've learned the secret of being profoundly and deeply and joyfully content. Somebody appeared on the uh, TV. Um in between a program, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, into the reality of life suffering. And somebody appeared in the adverts between the story and said to us, I've learned the secret of being content. I don't know how you'd feel. What's he pushing? Can I believe him? Is it a get-rich-quick thing? I've learned the secret of being content. These are the words of a man who in prison has come to this undivided heart, this deep conclusion, this joy-filled place into the reality of all that life throws at me. I found the one worth living for. I can face everything that life throws at me through Christ. Who no, no, will never let go. In every high, in every low. No, he's never Let go of me. Joy is being content. And and Paul leads us away from stuff and the absence of 
difficulty. He leads us away from a significant view of living simply and trusting God who cares for me to provide for me. He leads me to a deeper place. That's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. Joy is being content. Joy is responding to this Jesus from the very deepest place of my life and saying, Jesus, you're enough. Who you are, what you have done for me, your life, your glory, your supreme knowledge of me, your supreme wonderful grace that left heaven and came to earth, your presence with me, the wonder of your incredible life, Jesus, you're enough. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know all that you are, filling all that I am every day of my life. And I realize this is why I have been made. It's to know the one who loved me, made me, gave himself for me, died for me, rose for me, is coming again for me, and has brought me into his kingdom. Jesus, if nothing else, I want the whole of my life. I want to know you more. And I want to live to make you known. That last statement is an absolute natural overflow of the first. Why is Paul in chains? It's for the gospel. It's for making Christ known. He treasures Jesus supremely, but he lives for this other purpose that says, my contentment, my joy in life, my contentment in life is knowing this Jesus and making him known. And and with Out both of those being part of his life, he would live with a discontent, a disconnect. I'd somehow miss what the essence of life is all about. It's knowing Christ, and insofar as I'm still here in this world, with all that I am, gladly, sacrificially, lovingly, servingly, making him known. And as I do both of those, knowing you, Jesus, making you known, I will find the deepest contentment and the most profound joy for my life. And anything less than that, will bring a disconnect to my life and story. I've learned the secret of being content. Highs and lows, plenty or nothing. I can do all of this through Christ. He strengthens me. Let me give you two illustrations to put a handle on all of this. Uh, In a simple way. Someone once said that a a Christian is not supposed to be a thermometer, but a thermostat. I wonder if you've ever heard that. What what, what does a thermometer do? Come on, interact with me for a moment. What does a thermometer do? Measures the temperature. We've been measuring our temperature this weekend, haven't we? It kind of dropped. It it went colder. Did you notice that Friday-ish, Saturday? So a thermometer measures temperature, whether it's outside or in the car or wherever it is we have our thermometer. Whatever's happening, if the temperature goes up, the thermometer goes up. If the temperature drops, the thermometer goes down. And Christians aren't meant to be thermometers. Our lives are not meant to rise or fall depending on what is going on around us. We're not meant to be those who blow hot or cold. Uh, uh, 
who are on cloud nine one moment and down in the depths of the moment based on our circumstances. Christians are not meant to be thermometers. They're meant to be thermostats. So what does a thermostat do? It sets the temperature. So I don't, I don't know what heating you have. I kind of hot too. It's, it's kind of warm up here. Um, but we have these heaters. You can set the, uh, you can set the thermostat in, in, in Helston's building. You, you can se- select the temperature and outside of the building, there is this thing that kicks into life. And it powers heat into the building. And the thermostat uh, influences the temperature of the building. It, it's not just telling me what the temperature of the building is. It, it influences the building. You put it up at this temperature and then, wow, this power source comes in and it, and it affects the whole life of the building. And Paul is inviting us to see that for the Christian who has come to Christ. For, for the Christian who's come into a life-changing, for the person this morning, who's come into a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, for, for the person who has come into an encounter with the God who loved me, that he sent his son to die on a cross for me, this maker of heaven and earth stepped into history. He became man and he did it in order to pay on the cross for my sin. He bore in himself the wrath of the Father that was against me. That's what I deserve. I've ignored him and I've sinned against him. This is the, this is the story of mankind. But God has made a way in Jesus and Jesus dies on the cross receiving in himself the punishment I deserve in order that now the way God the Father wants to relate to me this morning is mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace to me. And it's all found in Jesus. And, and Paul is saying for the one who has come to know him, this Altogether, almighty God for me in Christ, flooding my being, entering into my experience, loved by him, loved by the Father, grace, peace. This is the cross. And he invites me into just losing myself in the wonder of it all. So that no matter what happens, no matter what may happen out here, no matter what may come against me, Because he is with me, and he is for me, and he by his spirit is in me, I can influence the world and not be influenced by it. This is the joy of being content. It's knowing that the one who is for me is always sufficient, always strong, always loving, always deeper, wiser, stronger than anything I face. And he is for me. The second illustration is this. It's from the life of Copernicus. Does anybody remember their school days? Have I, I've not told this here before, have I? I haven't preached here for a while, have I? So Copernicus, anybody remember? Yeah, great. What, what was he famous for? He lived in a world that said the earth was the center of everything and the sun and the stars rotated around the earth. That was the world Copernicus lived in. But it was Copernicus who wrote, actually, that's not true. The sun does not revolve around the earth. He was the one to actually write, actually, the earth revolves around the sun. 
And I think Paul is reminding us here in this joy of being content. He's reminding us quite simply, if we're going to really discover contentment in life, it's not having a way that we relate to God, our Father, or to the Son, that says, I am at the center, revolve around me. To have a view of contentment that says, God, meet my needs. God, give me what I want. God, just sort everything out in my life so it's filled with peace. To pursue God with this mindset is like Copernicus's day to say that somehow we see ourselves at the center and everything and God included revolves around us. Paul invites us into a different view. I'm going to allow scripture to interpret scripture. So hear what I am not saying this morning. Your heavenly father loves you. And he knows what you need. So bring your request to God. Make them known to him. He cares for you. Don't hold back. You have a father who loves you. But I am inviting us as the orientation of our lives. Don't see ourselves at the center. And as if God is revolving around us. And the only reason he exists is to meet us. And to meet our needs. And and to make sure that we feel happy according to our mindset or agenda. No, he cares for us. And in his grace he provides for us. But he invites us into an altogether different orientation. Joy is being content. Where I say, no, you are the center of it all and I want the whole of my life to revolve around you and joy is this I want to know Christ and I want to live my life for this story not you doing my little story as best as I can express it no I want to lose myself in the joy of contentment that says I want to live for your big story I want to know Christ and I want to lay down my life afresh for the joy of knowing him and making him known this is the joy of being content. Anything less, anything missing those reality is to disconnect from the joyful contentment God wants you and I to know. So contentment comes. And I'm finishing. But contentment comes in these ways. It comes first of all as we give ourselves firstly by faith to Jesus Christ. Contentment comes as I surrender my life and say, Jesus, I believe you love me. And I believe you died on the cross for me in order to bring me back to the Father. If we've never made that our faith response, real, joy-filled, deep, profound contentment will only flow out of this response, a faith response to the Savior of the world who gave himself for me. And this morning, if you have never come to that place of faith in him, then I'm inviting you into, before we ever get to the rush of Christmas, unless you're already there, just to a surrender of faith to Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. But contentment comes as well, not only as we give ourselves by faith to Christ, it comes as we give ourselves, not to thinking church is there for me, or God is there to help my story. Contentment will come. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you and say, you know, as a church, 
and as individual. If you want to know the deepest joy of contentment and peace resounding in your life, then this morning, as we take communion, as we respond to God, you will come and you will lay down your life afresh and say, this is not about me. This is about your mission, Jesus. This is about the glory of Jesus. This is about the building up of the church. This is not about being a cheerer from the sidelines and not involved. This is about the joy of contentment that says, all that I am, I surrender afresh to you. I lay down my life, my heart, my wallet, my time. I lay it down afresh to live for your glory. I challenge you, encourage you, open you up to a dare-to-believe world. This is not a guy on the TV trying to do a quick fit, quick fix, rich, whatever that thing is. It's Paul saying, you want to know contentment? Lay down your life afresh to build the church, to serve one another, to advance the gospel, to give generously, because in that way you're saying, actually, this is never going to be the thing that meets my need. I treasure you more than anything else. This is simply a way of offering back to you with joy and gladness everything that's going to make much of Jesus and advance his life and his glory in this town and beyond. It's about a fresh surrender to say, Jesus, I'm laying everything back on the altar, laying it all down to you again. Joy is being content. Is it elusive? Is it a pipe dream? No, Paul says. I've learned the secret. I want to know Christ. And I want to make him known. And as I lay down my life afresh, I find this, I can do everything through him who strengthens me.